have a very interesting narrative today. Um, we could learn lots of abstract truths about God, but he reveals himself in how he's related to his people. Most of the Old Testament is, is narrative, or the prophets talking about the narrative in this crucial time of Israel being formed, becoming God's people. And as was mentioned earlier, we're looking in this series of how Moses talks with God and how he, re how he and God are with each other. It's so intimate in their prayer life. And we long, too, to have that kind of prayer life with God. How are you coming in today? As we now, we sing a lot of beautiful songs about God's provision, about God's taking care of everything. Great is your faithfulness, morning by morning. Um, you've probably realized this, Rob read the passage, that that is not at all what anybody in this passage is thinking about at this point. Nobody's rejoicing that God is providing them for them every day. They're tired of the manna. Moses is tired of the people. So um, I'm not sure that anybody in our story would have been singing these songs with us this morning. And maybe you aren't either. Maybe it's the words, but in the heart, there's another, there's other emotions. Um, Maybe you're apathetic, sad, frustrated, bitter, resentful. Maybe you're angry. There's a lot of anger and emotion in this story today. Or disappointed or feeling guilty or shamed. These are all emotions that form our walk with God. God doesn't just want our faith. He wants he understands our emotions, and he wants our emotions to be attached to faith. And my first reading of this, as I've looked at it this week, has been there's a lot of raw emotion in this narrative, a lot of emotion. And that emotion doesn't come out of the blue. It comes because as we are created in God's image, God also has emotions. There's not a single emotion that we have that God doesn't understand because he has all those emotions too. His spirit does, except without sin. And God feels joy. He feels sadness. He has deep desires for his people. And yes, he even gets angry with them. Even though in our liturgy, we read, he made known his ways to Moses, he, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is true. But that doesn't mean he doesn't get angry sometimes, even as we do. What do we do when God is angry? Um, the people find out. God, Moses discusses this with God. Um, it, this isn't the first time that God, Moses has encountered God's anger personally. Um, it happened the first time God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. There two times God became angry with Moses. And... Um, when Moses said, I can't do this job. So we know from the outset that Moses has struggled with his calling. He's always felt that he can't do this, that God's giving him too big a task. And today we see in the passage that he's coming round, that, round on that again, even though last week he had this very intimate prayer with God of please stay with us, your presence. Very beautiful prayer. Today he's not feeling that way at all. He won't even wants God to kill him if he's going to continue to treat him this way. And so God is angry with the people's wailing. Moses is displeased, and he talks to God about it. Um, so 
Right today, I just want you to see who you're relating to in this text. There's the people who feel they're stuck in a place they don't want to be. They're craving other food, not the food that God has been giving them. And they feel they deserve something better, something they used to have, but now they don't have it. Or do you feel like Moses? You've been given a job to do that you don't feel like you're truly equipped for. It's turned out to be way bigger than you imagined. And you've already told God you can't do this, but he hasn't taken it away. And so Moses here is, is blaming God, actually. I just want to do a little sidebar here, since we know it's all in our minds. Whenever we talk about Israel and their wanderings, it's very easy to click on to what's happening right now. Um, this is when they were a wandering people without a nation, and they're learning to know who God is. It's hard to read stories, right? not stories, it's hard to read the news without thinking of emotions come to the surface. And so if anything, enter into this story with the emotions that you have even right now, shock, anger, fear, worry, the biggest question of all, how will this end? How many lives of both Palestinians and Israelis will be lost? How many Palestinian homes and cities will be leveled? Livelihoods permanently destroyed? Will the captives be released? How will the lives of those who survive this war ever heal from this trauma? How does this end? We don't know that because we're in the middle of that story. We're in the middle of a story right now in your lives that something isn't, there are things that just aren't jiving. Um, either like Israel, you're craving something you don't have, or you feel responsible for something you can't do. And that's our story right now, but we're going to step back into this story because, as I said, narratives in God's word are like a, a two-edged sword that cut into our hearts and reveal our emotions, our faith, and how those interact with each other. Um, Today, um, as we look in the emotions of this pas passage, we um, are seeing a desert drama unfolding. Uh, yes, as I said, God is angry. The people are wailing. That God is angry. Moses is displeased. I think the displeased is a little bit an understatement, actually, of what we hear next from Moses. Um, how do we connect? This story, Moses is struggling to connect the, right now with God's glory. He's basically protesting that, God, you've, you've really messed up now. Nothing, this can't be fixed. The people don't feel it can be fixed. No one's thinking about God's glory right now. They really lost track of it. It's because of their feelings aren't matching. Faith and feelings are not matching each other. Um, I remember as a kid having a track, you've probably seen it too, there's a little train. The first one is faith, the caboose is feelings. And we should never allow feelings to come before our faith. Faith is always at the front. The only problem with that is, is that we can become those kinds of followers of Jesus who can spout off abstract truths, but our feelings betray who we are, our emotions get in the way. Our emotions and our faith aren't connecting with each other. But I would say that in this passage, we can say that Moses connected best with God when he was upset and angry. It's okay to get angry with God if that keeps you talking with him. 
Instead of rejecting and saying, "I've had enough," just walking away, don't even want to talk to God about this. Moses didn't do that. His his distress forces him to come to God. We need that daily renewal, like daily bread in our faith, that fully embodies our emotions, not just what we think is true about God. So, in this encounter today. Um, Moses, as I said, has been protesting God's call in his life. You know, he said to God, I'm slow of speech, and even if I say things, people don't listen to me. Now, if you're a parent, you will know that you don't, maybe not, the slowest speech might come at other times in life, but your kids don't always listen to you. And I don't know about you, but when my kids wouldn't listen to me, I took that very personally, and I can't do this, you know. I'm a bad parent. There it goes, like there.、Um, or I get angry at them, and then I'm also a bad parent. And so Moses is definitely in the parenting seat here. He doesn't think, even from the beginning, that people will listen to him. Well, actually, they did.、Um, a million—I don't know how many—up to two million people that left Egypt. That's a lot of people to listen to you. Of course, it was because God had done some amazing miracles, but. They were listening to Moses, but this time they're not. They are upset with Moses. It sounds like they are wailing. I don't know if it's to God. It says they cried out to Moses. So Moses is the one. Well, before the context here is, they've already been crying out to him, verses one through three, and God sent down fire and burned some of them. So you know, God's already made a pretty big show of guys. You can't do this to my servant Moses. So, yeah. So they maybe they listen for a while. We don't know how long, but then the rabble starts to crave, and they started wailing. And Moses hears about it, and God hears about it. So、uh, Moses has gotten used to being not listened to over and over, but God has kept every single promise so far. He's given them. He got them out of Egypt. He gave them water to drink. He's rescued them from their enemies. God told Moses in Exodus thirty-two seven, "Go down for your people." Who? And I'm sorry. God told、uh, Moses when he came down from Sinai with the law, and and the Israelites had been worshiping another idol, that they had an other god. You'll notice that oftentimes it's other gods, not the true god. Other gods. Here they want other food, not the food God's giving them. And God says to Moses, "Go down for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves." And so Moses intercedes. God would have destroyed them, but he inter- he says, "Because of your character, God, and the promises you've made, please don't destroy them." In other places, God talks about my people, but in this place, and now Moses in this、um, narrative today. Goes back to that your people. They're not my people. They're your people. Why in the world did you make them my people? So Moses has asked his father-in-law just before this in chapter ten if he would come with him. His father-in-law says no, going back home. But the presence of God is with him. So Moses knows this. He knows that the big picture of God's glory is that they are God's people. God's people have. This generation of Israel saw more of God's glory than any other until Jesus came, when God actually walked among them. But this generation 
saw incredible miracles. The very presence of God was visible over the tabernacle, the Shekinah glory. And yet, they didn't believe that God was actually providing what they really needed. This time, it was about food. And they're going to this land. They've been promised the land of milk and honey, but that's not yet. They've left slavery. They're somewhere in between. The goal is clear. God will provide. God will provide. He, sh he said that to Abraham. Remember, I will provide on the mountain. God named, Abraham named Moses Jehovah Jireh, which means God will provide. And he has provided. This manna, only in this passage we get the most. This manna is so important because it's daily bread. And they are being fed. They're being sustained on this. You'll notice that the way they talk about it is almost like a, a cooking show or something. These are all the things you can do with manna. Um, so it's gathered in the morning. It's beaten or crushed in a mortar. Flowers made from it. Then you can boil it or you can bake it into a type of bread, some patties, round loaves, square loaves, I don't know. Probably different people tried different things. Lots of recipes came out of it. Um, if you remember um, Keith Green's song, so you want to go back to Egypt, he makes a, you want to go back to Egypt where it's warm and secure. You're sorry you brought that one-way ticket when you thought you were sure. You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting too, so hard. Are you sorry you're out here in the desert instead of your own backyard? And then he talks about manna hotcakes, manna waffles, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, manna patty, manna bread. So there's many different ways I'm sure they're making their manna cakes, but the people are not satisfied with this. Even if they taste like olives, you notice it, they put that little special detail in there. It tastes like it's cooked in olives. Well, where would they have olive oil? There's no olive trees around. So God actually put something special in there just to make taste a little bit better. But the people are weeping bitterly. They want their, what do they want? They want fish. Well, there's no fish in the desert. It was free because they could go fishing in the Nile. Uh, there's no cucumbers. There's no melons. The leeks and the onions. Come on. That's what we really want to eat. And God says, no, desert food is manna food. And it's good. It's good for you. I'm keeping you going. But they want meat. In fact, they want it so badly, they basically say, our strength has dried up. That's their final complaint. We can't even go any farther. We can't believe God. We can't walk. We can't go. And to the point that they feel so sorry for themselves, they're weeping. And this is when Moses starts his prayer and how we also can approach God when we're angry. <laughs> I guess God permitted Moses to say a lot of things. Why have you afflicted your servant? You've afflicted me with these people. If I found favor in your sight, then, then that you, what happened? It sounds like you've laid this burden of this entire people on me. Did I give birth to them? Did I conceive them? How, why are you saying to me, carry them in your arms, close to your heart, as a nurse bears an, a nursing child? Actually, the Hebrew here is the nursing child is obviously a child that's not been weaned yet, so they need daily the only way they get sustenance is from a mother. But the, the, the Hebrew for nurse here is actually a masculine, 
So it's like a foster father. So basically, that's carrying a child that needs a huge amount of attention. And so Moses is identifying with that foster father whose child here needs attention. But if you've been in the middle of the night, I think there's a few fathers here and mothers who know that in the middle of the night when your kid's crying and you just wanted to sleep, you're not getting it. It's really hard to carry that child. Even if it doesn't want to eat, it just wants to let you not sleep. And you even feel, I did, we have two kids 15 months apart, I didn't sleep for two years. I didn't sleep through the night for two solid years. And I remember thinking sometimes that they had planned this together. That this, was a, this was a plan, and I was the victim of this devilish plan to not let mama sleep at all. So Moses is complaining about these children who are truly acting like children. And he's saying, I can't do this. I, I just can't do this. It's easier to see God's glory when things are going well, but not right now. I don't even see you in this people. I'm done with them. I'm tired of them. And so God says to Moses, well, I have two things I'm going to do for you. And that's how he answers Mo Moses first. The first thing isn't about the food. Oh, well, actually, I should say, before you get there, Moses even asked if he could just die because he's tired. That's how tired he is. He just wants to die. But Moses, or Lord says to Moses, bring some elders. I'm going to distribute your spirit on them. The first job he gives, the first response to Moses isn't food, but help. It reminds me a little of Adam naming the animals. And because he did that, God says, you need a helper. But Adam wouldn't have realized that until he had to do this huge task. So the Lord was already ready to help Moses. Moses needed to receive this first before the problem was going to be solved. So he gets, he says, appoint the elders. I'm going to give you them part of the spirit that's on you and put them, put that spirit on them. And they're going to help you carry this burden. I know it's a burden. So God does acknowledge that Moses is carrying a burden. And later on, you probably are wondering why this why we are ending it with verse 23, because that's where the prayer ends. But we can see in the rest of the chapter, from 24 to 34, that when the 70 elders were chosen, the Spirit of God came on them, they prophesied, but they didn't do it again. It was just that one time to show that God had was there with them. It was a sign that these elders were to help Moses. But two of them didn't make it there, or there were two extras. Not sure. They get their Eldad and Medad, verse 20, 26 and 27. They get the spirit too, even though they didn't show up where they were supposed to. And Moses is glad for all the help he can get. He's not jealous that there's more that got it than were planned. But the second thing that God tells Moses is, besides the help I'm going to give you, I want you, I'm going to give the people meat. I actually am going to give them what they want. I have heard their crying. But he says something very interesting. He tells them they have to consecrate themselves in preparation for their meal of meat. 
And why would they need to consecrate themselves? Because God is holy. The people need to prepare themselves with the right attitude for receiving what God is going to give them. God has taken them seriously. But then he also says after that, he says, but you're not going to actually like this. He said to tell the people this before the meat ever came. You're going to get so much of it that you're going to get sick of it. In fact, it's going to be coming out of your nostrils. Same word, by the way, used for anger is the nose, the um, nose burning. It's interesting that he uses the word nostrils here. This sense of actually it's disgusting, so disgusting that it, it's coming out of your nose, not literally, but it, that's that disgusting. We find out later on in verse 31 that the wind came, drove quail from the sea, and the camp, they came to three feet above the ground, basically. Even kids could go hunting that day. And they gathered as much quail. No, every single person gathered 60 bushels, the 10 homers, about 60 bushels, if you can imagine. What is one person going to do with that much meat? They got sick over it. But God's already said that before, so probably some of them didn't, because he warns them, I'm going to give this to you, but this is other food. This isn't your normal manna food that every morning you get. It's fresh. It's good for you. You're not going to get sick from it. On Sabbath, you collect, day before Sabbath, you collect two days' worth, because I won't make that go bad, but if you try to get more than enough any other day, it's going to go bad. It's going to rot. Only daily bread. Only daily bread. But this isn't daily meat. This is one-time meat. It's going to make them sick because it's going to go bad uh, for a whole month. Um, but anyway, God warns them ahead of time that you're going to get so sick of it. And the reason I'm doing that is because you have rejected me, the Lord. They've rejected him by wailing and saying, why did we leave Egypt? So the point isn't food here. The point is, God, I don't really trust you. And your emotions aren't trusting me as well as your faith, your faith and emotions here. You don't see my glory of what I can do for you. God's saying, this is what you're going to tell the people to Moses. Well, Moses says, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I'm glad that you've taken the people seriously, but I don't believe you now. I, there's 600,000 men on foot. If you, this is kind of like that 5,000, the feeding of 5,000, we know that there's probably three times as much because there's women and children too. If you include women and children here, you're talking about at least 1.8 million people that all want meat. Of course, Moses is saying this is impossible. Why well, he said, okay, let me see, think of the ways we could all get meat. We could fish. I'm going to the ocean, bring them in. We could slaughter all our flocks that are among us, that we, um, we could, no. The math doesn't calculate. It's not happening. I don't see a way that this could happen. So this is where God answers Moses. The Lord answers Moses. He says, only one question. Kind of like when Jonah, it ends with the question, really, my prophet, you really think that I can't do this? Is the Lord's arm too short? For Jonah, it was, you don't think I can forgive that I care about people? Here, the Lord says, I care 
but you're, you, my servant, you don't seem to understand that I can't do this. Is my arm too short? I always love that expression, little short arm here that can't do any, you know, anything. Um, you will now see whether or not I, what I say will come true for you, whether or not. So there's still an option here. Moses is being given the option whether he can see it or not see it. And it says in verse 24, so Moses went out and he told the people. And so that shows that he actually does want to see what God is going to do. God's glory is for the people and they are going to see it. Moses has to see it first though. And just to wrap this up, I don't know where you find yourself in the story. Are you like the Israelites? or you like Moses, or somewhere in between, usually we're somewhere in between complaining or having to deliver something we're not quite sure it's going to be delivered, depending on the responsibilities you have. I just say, don't be afraid of those emotions. God is actually using them. In no way in here did God rebuke people for feeling things, but it's what their feelings led them to believe, like we shouldn't have, if only we were in Egypt. Why did we ever leave Egypt? That's not a feeling now. That's a statement of, that's what I really want. But the feelings that Moses had brought him face to face with God. And God says, I'm going to match your feeling here. I'm going to say, I'm listening. And don't look for other food. Look for my food. God's glory is wrapped up in his provision. In the end, his glory is revealed. His ability to provide for both Moses and Israel. He gave leadership help to Moses. He gave food to Israel. And the Lord's hand is not shortened. But now you will see, and I would actually add here, Moses was able to feel. His emotions also came in line with whether God's word will come true for you or not. So whatever it is today that you are needing that emotional, that faith contact with God, let him see you, your emotions. Don't deny them. Dear Lord, thank you that your word speaks through narratives. May that cut into our hearts like the double-edged sword to reveal who we think you are and who we're trusting you to be in our lives, that your glory is there today, even when we, don't, we lose sight of it in the midst of um, our cravings and our desires for other things, and when we can't, we feel incompetent or incapable to do what we've been given to do. May your glory fill our hearts, our church, our community, our world around us, so that we can not just believe, but feel with you the emotions that you have to accomplish your work in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.